You're listening to the Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 9, Fade to Black, Dealing with Death. Death along with money and sex are probably three of the most common thoughts or interests or preoccupations that most people have throughout their life. And if you think back that for over 200,000 years, a lifetime was about 30 years. Yeah. Taking into account widespread infant mortality, which altered those numbers significantly. In America, for example, life expectancy in the year 1900 was about 47. Today, it's approaching 80. And all of that, of course, due to developments in technology, medicine, and primarily an understanding and a development of hygienic conditions mm-hmm. and improvements in the work spaces. But perhaps we've gotten to a point where we live too long now, or at least some would suggest that. Certainly people from an economic and political position are beginning to express that thought about there are too many people over a certain age and putting too much weight on the system. Do you think, Harry, that we live too long? Well, not from the point of view of economics. I understand the stresses involved in people getting older and a culture trying to deal with that. I think are we living too long must be answered at a personal level so that if a person has something to live for, then they're not living too long. If a person is engaged in the world, is contributing to their community, let's say, and not just retreating into an old age shell, then live on and make your mark. Yes, and I think that also depends on your religious and social perspective. For example, if you're a Roman Catholic, a Buddhist, or some other religion that views death very differently. Yeah, I mean, whatever you've got in your head about the after will determine to a certain degree how you approach it. If you think you're going to go to heaven where there's going to be cigars and babes in a nightclub where you're going to live forever (laughs) and have fun listening to good jazz, well, you might just look forward to the big day, right? Right, exactly. If you think you're going to burn in hell or something worse, then it could be a very difficult crossing. Born Roman Catholic, I certainly am not a practicing Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. I've taken a lot of interest in other faiths because a lot of it has to do with their perspective on life and death. Sure. So it really does depend on your spiritual nature and proclivities where you feel you're going to be after death, assuming there is an after death. I know a lot of Roman Catholics who are extremely fearful of death, which is kind of ironic to me in the sense that I've always thought of Christianity as helping people through that. I also think a lot of it has to do with the physical body itself. Because, you know, when you ask the question, are you afraid of death? I typically answer, Not in my thoughts, but my body is quite afraid of death. Just as my body is afraid of being cut or being hurt in different ways, it recoils at the possibility of pain. And pain is kind of a little tiny death, if you think about it. It's not so much that your life is coming to an end as much as to how it's coming to an end. Well, your inner life is coming to an end on the planet in the way we know it. And the suffering is the body's suffering, I think, more than our mental Thing. Of course, we're going to go through a lot inwardly when we die, and we do, but I think the suffering is the body's domain in a way. And our relatives who, who are wringing their hands over our passing are seeing us suffer physically, and that is very hard 
on them. Even though we may be fairly calm inside, that physical thing where our body is fighting for its life to its last breath is so compelling for people that it's overwhelming. Presumably, something happens at that point that is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. It's a mystery. Whatever religion tells me, it's a mystery. The books say this, but I don't know. Books could be wrong. Mm -hmm. Death is a mystery of some kind. And I'd like to be a Buddhist too and approach it with that kind of calm centeredness. But I don't know. Until I get there, I don't really know how I'm going to be. I agree with that. Even when we try to perceive what someone else is going through or imagine what someone else is going through, you're only imagining because you really don't know until you're there yourself. Yeah, in our societies, we rarely actually witness death directly. Occasionally in the hospital with a relative, we might witness their passing. I've witnessed the passing of animals. You've never witnessed the human being? No, not in my presence. Never witnessed the human being passing away. Uh, You have. Close or just missed a couple, but the very first person I ever saw die in front of me was my mother. So tell me about that moment. What do you remember about that very moment? The thing that comes immediately to my mind is that I knew she was gone. I knew the physical self was gone. I can't describe the uh, the feeling specifically, but I just knew. The weirdest kind of experience I have ever had. Now, that could have also been complicated by the fact that, of course, she was my mother. But still, it was kind of eerie. And yet, it didn't horrify me in any way. It was just like a, a very silent last breath kind of situation, almost peaceful, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but eerie. Perhaps only because it was a first-time experience. Yeah, yeah. But I had experienced it in other ways without actually witnessing when I lost my best friend at the age of 18 who died in a drowning accident. That was a weirder situation. I didn't actually see him die. But going through the entire funeral and all of that was very, very odd, weird. Uh, At 18, death doesn't even enter the picture. You know, suddenly it happens. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and my dad died when I was 13. And it was really the first death in the family, in a way, for me. I'd never experienced death, really, at all. Mm-hmm. And I found myself in a very strange place, because everyone around me in the family was crying and wailing and, and all this stuff. And something inside me refused to cry. I found myself not crying and not overwhelmed the way everyone else was. I felt guilty because of it. I wasn't ready for it or I didn't feel it in the same way. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. until it took another 10 years before I could actually mourn my father's passing through tears and crying and that sort of thing. I understand because I had a similar kind of reaction in terms of being overly practical almost. I was kind of organized and making sure that everything was getting done. And as you said, it didn't hit me until later. But I experienced each one of their deaths differently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know if that was the same for you. Yeah, because my dad died in the hospital and I wasn't there at all, really, before that. And he was suddenly gone. And with my mother, she had cancer and there was, you know, three or four months in the hospital before she passed where I could spend a lot of time with her kind of saying goodbye. Uh, So very different feeling from a sudden door shutting to this gradual exit. Okay, so here's a question for you that may not be related to what we're talking about, but I'm just curious and you don't have to answer if you don't want to. Who do you think about more now, your mother or your father? I can't really answer that because they passed away so far away from each other that they were very different. 
I think about my father in terms of, because I was only 13 when he passed away, I think about him and I wonder what I got from him up to that age. Right. And my mother, after that, was with us for so long that she was the rock of the family. And I admired her ability to hold the center together the way she did mm-hmm. uh, for a long time. And you after. still think of her in those terms? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. See, for me, it was different because I lost my mother when I was 40 and I lost my father when I was 52. My father was seven years older than my mother. He actually died 12 years later. So it was a very interesting kind of transition for me. It certainly gave me time to reflect, absorb, and have the opportunity to uh, speak with my father. So I, I think I had the benefit of a time that maybe many people don't get. Yeah. And also through modern medicine and technology, when we're ill and, and we're approaching death, that moment is often delayed, which is not always a bad thing. Because it does allow for family to say goodbye properly. Closure. There can be some closure rather than the person being taken away suddenly. doesn't allow for that. And it's a major shock and mm-hmm. things can happen. In my situation, my sister and I lost our parents in a very similar fashion. Both essentially went into the hospital and both within exactly the same time frame, five days from entering the hospital to the actual passing and two days later funeral. So we were spared much of the agony that I see other family members, including my wife right now, who has aging parents, one of which is in kind of a situation where there's really no reversing. It's kind of a waiting game. Mm -hmm. And I've seen other friends or family members go through years of excruciating mental agony, uh, watching someone die slowly. Sure. That whole brings up the question, doesn't it, of euthanasia? And, Which know, I'm a believer in. Are you? Why? Why do you believe Very that it's strongly. a good thing? Why is it? I think it fundamentally connects to my whole philosophy of living, and that is personal empowerment. It's my choice. My life, I choose when I wish to exit mm-hmm. or not. People may argue that point, but that's the way I feel. And so I feel that if someone actually wants to terminate their life, assuming they're of sound mind, of course, and making a rational decision, mm-hmm. I think they have the right to do that. Yeah, we're one of the few cultures in the West that that really doesn't allow for that kind of choice to be made. In more traditional cultures, often, if somebody were that ill and they knew they were dying, they would simply walk off into the woods or into the tundra, into the snow, and they would die with dignity in their own way. You know? Yeah, there's an acceptance. I think Western culture has a difficult time with all our trappings, with all our wealth, with all the things that we have. We're fearful of... The inevitable. Yeah, and the inevitable is all around us. Roadkill, trees that are dead in the woods, the death of languages, mm-hmm. the death of all kinds of things. We are living in, in a world that is dying in so many different ways, and yet we don't kind of carry that with us. We forget that we are mortal beings. Well, because I think Western culture has generally given it a negative connotation. You become very fearful of not knowing as mm-hmm. opposed to perhaps embracing the surprise. Embracing the surprise. If there is one. <laughs> I know people that do think like that. Not many, mind you. But in the two situations where I've actually been present for the dying process, and it happened to be both my parents, I have to say that in both those situations, I'd never seen either one of them with that much peace close to the end. Mm. Well, here's the thing. You know, I've had these discussions with my wife, and she very wisely says, wait a minute, died peacefully in their sleep, (laughs) 
bullshit. You know, <laughs> yeah. you don't know what's going on inside them. That's they right, may be don't. tormented in, inwardly. Absolutely. And outwardly, their body doesn't have the strength to do anything. But inwardly, they may be fighting like maniacs to stay alive. We don't know how peaceful I would agree with that. Is. I would agree with that if a person is semi-comatose or has no way of describing or voicing what they're going through. But in my mother's case, she spoke to me. What did she say? May I ask you? Her last words to me were, it was late at night, about nine, ten o'clock. It was only her and I, and uh, I was beside her, and she kind of looked at me, and she was kind of in and out of consciousness, so I don't know how much of it was real and how much of it was hallucinative. Medicated? But she, uh, she's basically very peaceful, and she said to me, um, essentially the words were, I'm fine, go home, be with your family. And that was the last I spoke to her. I'd never seen her so peaceful. Mm-hmm. I find that people who are compassionate, more caring, more involved with other human beings seem to have just a better approach to life and the ending of life in general. Mm -hmm. That's been my experience. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. I can only tell you what I experienced. Yes. I mean, I know people who have purpose, had goals, were very helpful for other people, really were teachers, and yet were self-destructive at the same time mm -hmm. because they felt so deeply the, the pain of the world and the pain of people around them that to cope with that, they would go to drink or whatever and be self-destructive. But at the same time, they did have a purpose, it seemed, in their lives. So right. We are, we're, you know, we're really contradictions to ourselves so often. Well, I know that from the way I was raised and the life I experienced in my youth, had I absorbed it completely and not gone in other directions, I don't think I would have had a will to live a lot of the times. Right, right. But somehow, and we've discussed this in other conversations, mentorships or certain people that you meet in your life who show you another way or give you another option that you didn't think existed before. Mm -hmm. For myself, having a purpose is extremely important and also to be hopeful because I know a lot of people who are very pessimistic in their daily living. And I realize that there are things that are going to happen to us, whether we want them to happen to us or not. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who gets sick deserves it, but I do believe that there's a correlation between the way you think, what you believe, and the way your life pans out. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. At some moment during that whole process that's always struck me at funerals, there's a part of me that always goes, wow, like in two seconds, an entire life disappears. Everything this person has ever done, yeah. everything they've ever said, it's just gone, you know? Yeah, I, the, it, other than in the memory of people, right, right? Right, That all that knowledge, all that experience, yeah. all those relationships, all those lived moments. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way you view both life and death. When I'm at a funeral, my brain does not go to the sad. Mm, sure. Uh, although I can see when it's someone who's extremely close to you, like a son, daughter, a parent, it's a totally different experience. Right. Which takes a whole other level of thinking and processing to get through. Yeah. Now, having said that, the first time I went to a wake, I was stunned. 
imagine a little Catholic boy who has all these standard Catholic funerals all his life and at 15 <laughs> or 16 goes to an Irish wake. Come on in and get drunk. <laughs> Let's have some fun at this week. It's like I'm there watching these guys and thinking, a couple of these guys are going to die before this is over. <laughs> Just keep the weight going for those guys. You know, but that was good for me to experience because I got to see another culture. And, you know, Harry, you're of Jewish background, right? Yep. But you're not a practicing, I don't want to say practicing Jew sounds so raw. <laughs> it's it's real. It's good. It's yeah. honest. Yeah, it's uh, honest. You've had the experience of that. So yeah. how would you say you process that or how has it affected your thinking if it has? Well, I mean, my experience of Jewish funerals is lots of people there in deep uh, sadness, not a lot of laughter. And the interesting part about the Jewish funeral is after the rabbi does his thing, members of the family, typically the male members, will each get a shovel and help to actually bury the casket. Mm -hmm. That big mound of dirt, well, you dig in there with your shovel and you shovel for as long as you want, then you pass the shovel to another person and they carry on doing that. So you all have a hand in the burial, the physical burial. In a lot of funerals, you don't. In fact, a lot of people view that as the worst part of the actual funeral. It's almost like walk away from it because this is the most difficult part is to actually watch the lowering of the gasket. But it's fulfilling. It's closure. It's like you've had a hand in it. You're not just on the outside looking Mm -hmm. into something. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a really good tradition. I like that tradition. What I don't like about uh, Jewish memorial services and funerals is that sometimes the, the rabbi will say things about the deceased that you know is really not quite true, right. <laughs> but he's kind of twisting it to make it seem like the person was a really good soul and yeah, would have yeah, yeah, done yeah, this yeah, and that had yeah. they been alive, but they really wouldn't yeah. have. And <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of the things that comes... Think, that's, that's one bullshit. of the things, That's one of the things that really intrigued me about the wake. Yeah. I mean, you heard everything. People are drinking. It, it was from, he was such a sweet guy, though. He's a total bastard, and I'm glad he's gone. Exactly. You, know? <laughs> you get the truth, yeah. which is yeah. a good thing. So we need more truth around death to demystify it. To, and, to- and on that subject, too, Harry, you know, that was one of my pet peeves growing up and still is today in, in a sense. How can you possibly understand how every individual experiences loss? Yeah. Why do you assume that because someone's laughing or they're not crying that their pain is any less than yours? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is this assumption, well, you described the somberness of a Jewish service. Yeah. It's almost like if you smile or laugh, it's an insult to the person who's passed mm-hmm. or how dare you. And in fact, I know that funerals to me have been some of the most interesting mental imagery and thoughts. They come to me at funerals. Sure. Things that I think that if they were voiced or people knew, they'd be stunned at what's going through people's minds at funerals. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure they would be. (laughs) Let me ask you this. When you die, Mm. would you like to be A, embalmed like the ancient Egyptians, B, cremated, C, shot into space, D, (laughs) sent down into the ground for the maggots to come at (laughs) you? What would be your preferred exit? (laughs) Honestly, I know some people have very clear thoughts on that. My thoughts have changed over my lifetime because of the way I was raised. As a child, I thought of it only as burial because that's the only thing that was ever taught to me. Then I I learned from other cultures, other ways. I look at the way the... uh, Indians would put a body out on a boat and set the fire and throw yeah. flowers in the water. That, that was different. And, of mm-hmm. course, there's cremation. And 
I think cremation is the way to go in terms of not occupying space, going back to a natural state. Ashes seems very natural and mm-hmm. from a physiological physics point of view. Ashes to ashes. Or, or quantum physics, if you want to take it to that <laughs> level. A leap into the death. Into uh, the burial to me seems in some ways very commercial. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd like to be buried in a suitcase and sent off to a garage in Buffalo. <laughs> well, why not? You know, a lot of people, I've talked to people who just say, like, you're dead. What's the difference? What's the difference? (laughs) Right? (laughs) In some ways, I think I could just as easily say, do whatever you like. Mm -hmm. You know, the one thing I I would probably say is don't spend a lot of money. It's not worth it. Or if you are going to spend money, throw a party. Don't waste $10,000 on a casket. Right. There's this whole movement about having your wake or your funeral memorial before you die. Oh, I think I... friends. Why not? Have a party, do the eulogy, say goodbye. Uh, and then when it happens, you don't need to do all that stuff. You've already kind of covered the bases. You said your goodbyes. Yeah. That's a great idea, I think. I think it's about respecting people's right and privilege. Yeah, when I think about my death, I think I'd like to be cremated and buried under a you know an oak tree and help nourish an oak tree. That's my mm-hmm. wish. I've told my wife that. And I'd like to have a big party, have people celebrate, have there be a lot of creativity at my funeral. Yeah, I think like that you too. Know? I think in terms of food, music, yeah. gaiety. Yeah, good uh, stories yeah. and that sort of thing. Uh, good old, it's like an Irish wake in a way, mm-hmm. uh, but it'd be Yiddish wake. <laughs> yeah. Oy vey. It's <laughs> Another I... Mogan David uh, <laughs> Concord wine drink. <laughs> You're killing me. Oh, The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at connectingdotsmedia.com.